Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jangda. If you enjoy and benefit from listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free with you, and your donation ensures that we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has tens of thousands of listeners, so the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting this effort is endless, insha'Allah. You never know who will be able to benefit from your contributions and donations. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Okay, bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Insha'Allah continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as-siratun nabawiyah, the prophetic biography. We've been talking um, for quite a few sessions now about Hajjat al the farewell uh, pilgrimage of the Prophet ﷺ. The Hajj the Prophet ﷺ performed in the 10th year of Hijrah towards the end of his life. Now, at some level, um, we've been going on for quite some time and anybody who's been keeping up with the sessions um, understands this, that... You know, normally we would think or maybe we've heard or read even a book on the seerah and we've seen that there's a chapter on Hajjat al-Wida and it'll be a couple of pages or we heard a 20-minute lecture. We've been going on for a number of weeks now, um, you know, half a dozen hours we've already been, we've invested into talking about it. But that goes to tell you exactly how much detail we have about the life of the Prophet ﷺ, and also how much profound benefit there is to take from it. So inshallah, um, it's really, you know, uh, a blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we have such a phenomenal resource available to us. So we'll continue with that. Where we left off previously was the Prophet ﷺ, you know, observed the day of Arafah. Uh, he made dua at the place of Arafat. He spent the night in Muzdalifah. They came back to Mina in the morning where they, um, they came back after the Fajr prayer to Mina, where they went and they tossed the pebbles at the largest of the pillars, the biggest of the shaitans as people will refer to. Uh, they, threw, they tossed the pebbles there. And after that point, now it was time to observe the other elements of Yomun Nahar, the 10th day of the Hijjah for anyone who is not at Hajj. Generally, for the rest of us, um, during normal times, the 10th day of the Hijjah is the day that we know as Eid al-Adha, the Eid of the sacrifice. All right? But for people who are at Hajj, the 10th day of the Hijjah is called Yawm al-Nahar. Al-Nahar means also sacrifice. Um, but it's giving it a little bit of a different name so that it's more uniquely identifiable. The word al-Nahar is specifically the method that is used for sacrificing camels. It's the method that is used for sacrificing camels. Um, I won't go into all the gory details. But nevertheless, it is a very unique experience. Uh, forget about doing it, even seeing it is quite a unique experience. Um, and you know, so at your uh, at your own peril and at your own risk, uh, feel free to YouTube it. But uh, 
Um, nevertheless, alhamdulillah, I've had the opportunity to perform it, not only see it, um, but that's the way camels are sacrificed. So that's why it's called the Umm nahar And we'll talk more about why it got that name. First of all, the Prophet ﷺ referred to it with that name, but why even he referred to it with that name, we'll see in just a second. Going back to the lengthy narration on Hajjatul Wida narrated by the young Ansari companion Jabir bin Abdullah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, ثُمَّنْ صَرَفَ إِلَى manhar." So see, on the 10th day of Dhul Hijjah, after you throw the pebbles at the largest of the pillars, the second thing you're supposed to do in sequence is, you sacrifice your animal. And anyone who has come for Hajj, and come for Hajj from outside, they came from Hajj from outside, they're not from the Haram territories. They came in from outside. The word that's used in fiqh for that is Al-Afaqi. Alright, so somebody who's come in to perform Hajj from outside, they perform either what's called Hajjul Qiran or Hajjul Tamatu, which means you do an Umrah and you do a Hajj. And in order to appreciate that blessing of Allah that you were able to do two things in one journey, fulfill two uh, rituals in one journey, a sacrifice is offered. But of course, only for those who can afford it. Those who cannot afford it, they, sh they have to fast a number of days, and the Quran talks about that. Nevertheless, a sacrifice is typically made. And after throwing the pebbles, the second thing in sequence that is done is the sacrifice. So, ثُمَّنْ صَرَفَ إِلَى manhar. The Prophet ﷺ, he went to the place where they sacrificed, they were sacrificing the animals, where everyone had gathered all the animals together. ثُمَّ uh, And then, وَسِتِينَ بِيَدِهِ Remember the Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu from a lot of the spoils of war in Yemen and some of the other offerings and the gifts that were given by the people. The Prophet ﷺ had a hundred camels that were sacrificed at that occasion to celebrate Hajjatul Wida and also to provide meat and food to everybody who was there at the Hajj. Right? So a hundred camels were sacrificed. The Prophet ﷺ sacrificed 63 of them with his own hand. Like the initial cut. That doesn't mean like all the butchering and skinning and cutting up of the meat. Not all that. But just the initial sacrifice that was made with the dagger. Because Nahar, the camel, is basically killed with a dagger, not a knife. Um, but the Prophet ﷺ performed that act 60, on 63 of the camels that were done. And then after doing 63 animals, the Prophet ﷺ then handed the, the, the dagger to Ali ﷺ and he said, why don't you finish up what is left? Alright, and that way the Prophet ﷺ included Ali within this particular noble deed as well. One of the scholars mentioned something, and again, there's no real evidence that that is why the Prophet ﷺ did this, but you know how you look for sometimes like interesting tidbits? You look for something that is an interesting note, a note of interest. Some of the scholars have noted the Prophet ﷺ stopped at sacrificing 63 animals and that was his age at that time. That was his age at that time. So Allah ta'ala alam whether that was, you know, his objective or purpose not, nevertheless we note that and it's a very interesting, you know, kind of like note to take. And we do know that the Prophet ﷺ was a fan, the Prophet ﷺ was fond, excuse me, the Prophet ﷺ was fond of symmetry. 
The Prophet was fond of symmetry. He liked seeing symmetry in things. Because symmetry, another word for something that is very symmetrical, or some symmetry is, when you see something that's very symmetrical, what do we call it? We say it's very, it's beautiful. When we see something symmetrical, we say it's beautiful. And what did the Prophet tell us about beauty? In Allah Jamilun, Yuhibbul Jamal. God is beautiful and He loves beauty. So the Prophet was very fond of symmetry and these types of things. So Allah Ta'ala, whether that was His objective or purpose or not, nevertheless, it is still something of note. Imam Ahmad mentions that the Prophet after doing the sacrifice, the next deed, the next act that is basically performed in the sequence of the Hajj on Yom Nahar is that the, ha the hair is cut. And I'll explain that in a little bit more detail. The hair is cut. And, but obviously after sacrificing the animals, because that was all being done in one place, so you didn't create a mess everywhere, it was now time for people to basically set up camp where they could then cut their hair and clean themselves, take their showers, change their clothes, so on and so forth. So it was now time for people to settle in. The Prophet ﷺ gathered everyone, he explained every, to everyone what they needed to do next. Khatabahum. The Prophet ﷺ explained to them what were the following steps. And then the Prophet ﷺ actually um, you know, allocated space for different people. The Khatab al-Nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa nazzalahum manazilahum wa qala liyanzil al-muhajiroon ha-huna He said the muhajiroon should set up camp over here wa ashara ila maymanatil qibla He pointed to the right direction of the qibla wa al-ansar ha-huna wa ashara ila maysanatil qibla He said the ansar can set up their camps over here thumma liyanzil al-nasu hawlahum and then everyone else should set up somewhere around them and there's a note in that. The Prophet ﷺ said, the muhajirun here, the ansar over here, and everybody else find a spot. When you do that, you're basically highlighting someone. You're honoring someone. You know, it's like if I say, Khalid, why don't you please come have a seat here? And everybody else grab a seat, please. I highlighted Khalid. So either... You know, I'm honoring him or he's in trouble, either one, right? Depends, right? If it's my son, he's in trouble. He's not here today, so don't worry. Um, but, you know, otherwise, it's a way to honor somebody. It's a way to highlight someone. And the, the Prophet ﷺ honored the muhajirun and the ansar in front of everyone. And the reason why he did that was, these were the people who invested in Islam early on, so to speak. They got in on the ground floor. وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانِ We can also gain virtue by following in their footsteps, by finding inspiration within them, but it doesn't change the fact that, you know what? They made that initial sacrifice. And there's something to be said about that. وَعَلَّمَهُمْ مَنَاسِكَهُمْ And then the Prophet ﷺ told everyone else what to do next. Um, and then the Prophet ﷺ, he now proceeded himself to basically the cutting of the hair. Now, the two things that I'd like to mention here is first of all, the 
Prophet ﷺ cutting his own hair, how did that exactly go? What was the hair, how did he cut his hair? And, and how was that exactly done? And then what did he say at that time when it was time for everyone to cut their hair? So Imam Ahmad mentions that the Prophet, and there's a number of narrations, Imam Bukhari mentions this, Imam Nasa'i mentions this, everyone mentions this, that the Prophet ﷺ at Hajjatul Wida, he shaved his head. He shaved his head. He did not cut his hair, he shaved his head. And it also mentions, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu in a hadith of Bukhari says, that the majority of the companions of the Prophet the men of course, they also shaved their heads. Some people, they cut their hair. They didn't completely shave their heads. Um, and the Prophet how did he have his own haircut? Imam Muslim, rahimullah uh, ta'ala, he has a narration in the Sahih narrated by Anas bin Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu, in which he says that the Prophet he went to the biggest of the pillars, he threw the pebbles, he then went and offered the sacrifice. Then the Prophet sat down and he called someone, he said, come shave my head. And then the Prophet ﷺ, and this is something interesting, the Prophet ﷺ had long hair at this time. The Prophet ﷺ had long hair. So the way the Prophet ﷺ used to wear his hair, kind of comb his hair or whatever you want to call it, the way he used to keep his hair, was that the Prophet ﷺ would basically push it back. He would push it back. And oftentimes, because the Prophet ﷺ would tie a turban on his head, so that kind of helps kind of push your hair back a little bit. And so the Prophet ﷺ would push his hair back and that's how he would keep his hair. And the Prophet ﷺ was fond of long hair. He typically in his lifetime, aside from when he shaved his head at the four times, which was the three umrahs and then the hajj, aside from those moments, he typically had longer hair. It would be anywhere from his earlobe, so when he would push it back, it would come to his earlobe and sometimes it would come get to his neck. And if he was traveling, like he was on a journey, a long journey, like the journey of Tabuk, it would sometimes get so long where it would go all the way to his shoulders. And the Prophet had very wavy hair, so when it would get longer in the back, it would curl up in the back of his head here, it would curl up. And so the Prophet typically had that longer kind of hair. So when he called the person to shave his head, he kind of grabbed his hair from the right side here, and then he said, Khud. He said, start over here. He grabbed his hair on the right side here and he said, start over here. And so the person started shaving his head from the right side. Then the Prophet ﷺ, he grabbed his hair on the left side and he said, Khud. He pointed to the left, take this now. And then the person shaved his head from the left side as well. And, and then after, the Prophet ﷺ, both uh, sides of his head were shaved basically, they kind of you know, finished it off, cleaned it off, and that was how the Prophet ﷺ basically shaved his head, had his own head shaved. And then the Prophet ﷺ instructed um, other people to do the same as well. One last detail that I'll mention about the haircut, this 
Prophet ﷺ's head being shaved before I go on to talk about just the, some of the du'as that he made and what he said about this particular moment was Imam Ahmad mentions in his musnad narrated by Anas anhu. He says, رَأَيْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَالْحَلَّاقِ يَحْلِقُهُ He says, I saw the Prophet ﷺ sitting, and then the person who was shaving his head was standing behind him shaving his head. وَقَدْ أَطَافَ بِهِ أَصْحَبُهُ All the Sahaba gathered around the Prophet ﷺ. مَا يُرِيدُونَ أَن تَقَعَ شَعْرَةً إِلَّا فِي يَدِي رَجُلٍ Not a single one of his hair, and he had long hair, not a single one of his hairs touched the ground. Everybody was catching his hair as he was shaving his head and it was falling. Everyone was catching the hair and keeping it basically as a souvenir, as a safe keep, and as is the understanding of the vast overwhelming majority of Muslim scholars for as a source of barakah as well. A tabarruk bi athari Nabi Right? Whether or not somebody seeks blessing from another person, that is disputed, and I'm not going to touch on that. But one thing that People of knowledge, I don't care what anybody says on the internet, people of knowledge, they all agree upon because the companions all practice this, the Sahaba practice this, the Al Bayt practice this, the mothers of the believers practice this, and that is the personal effects of the Prophet ﷺ are a source of blessing. He is blessed. He's rahmatul lil'alameen. He receives divine revelation. He sits with Jibreel. Right, so the Prophet ﷺ is blessed, and his personal effects are a source of blessing. And the Sahaba used to keep these kinds of safe keeps for the source of blessing from the Prophet ﷺ. So in that way, it's very beautiful. They were all basically grabbing the hair as it was falling, and they were keeping it for themselves. Now, what did the Prophet ﷺ overall say at this particular time? Imam Muslim, along with a number of different narrations, he mentions that. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he um, Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu after getting his head shaved and everyone saw that, he then said, "Everyone get your head shaved." And he said, "Yarhamullahu al-muhalliqin," and everyone said, "I mean," meaning that may Allah have mercy upon those who shave their heads today. And everyone said, "I mean," and then again he said, "Yarhamullahu al-muhalliqin," and everyone said, "I mean." And then after two or three times he made dua for people who were shaving their heads. Some people who were interested in getting a haircut, not shaving their heads, they asked, Wal muqassirin ya Rasulullah. But what about the people who get a haircut? And he said, Wal muqassirin. He said, them as well. Sure, why not? Right? So he kind of mentioned it on the side like that one time, but he made dua three times for the men who shaved their heads after performing Hajj. In another hadith of Sahih Muslim as well, he explicitly mentions that um, Rasulullah ﷺ fi hajjat al-wada' da'a lil-muhalliqina thalathan wa lil-muqassirina marratan. The Prophet ﷺ made dua for the men who shaved their heads at hajj three times, and he made dua for those who get, who get a haircut one time. Alright? So, just something to keep in mind. Insha'Allah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take us all uh, for Hajj and Umrah. But whenever you do go, you can get a haircut. Just don't let me see you getting a haircut. Because I will tease you. Alright. The next thing that after everyone cut their hair, 
the Prophet ﷺ then instructed the companions, he said that now you can put on regular clothes. Because remember they're in ihram. They've been in ihram for more than two days. From the 8th, all day 8th, all day 9th, and this is the morning of the 10th. So now he said, now you can change your clothes. Now you can remove your ihram. Now you can put on regular, whatever, you know, civilian clothing, so to speak. Alright? You can wear whatever you want to wear. And you can clean yourself up. You can take a shower. You can apply some perfume. In our case, you know, you can use your soap and shampoo. You can, you know, put on some deodorant or some itar or cologne or perfume or whatever. You can do all of that. Um, the only restriction that still remains, and the Prophet ﷺ clarified this is, however, if a man and a woman, a wife and a husband, if a husband and wife are on Hajj together, they should not be intimate yet. They cannot resume intimacy yet. And that's a fiqh issue, so I'll leave that for another um, you know, forum. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says that after the Prophet was done with all of this, he then took a bath, he washed himself, and he put on some regular clothes. And then he asked Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, his wife, the mother of the believers, he asked her, do we have any perfume? And she said, yes. And he said, bring me the perfume. And Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says, I rubbed the perfume in my hands and I applied it to the Prophet I applied it to the Prophet And that shows us that it is absolutely allowed at this particular juncture after the... The, pel the, 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 the pebbles have been tossed, the sacrifice has been made, and the hair has been cut. Now somebody can resume back to normal, kind of like dress and behavior. And the Prophet ﷺ, it's even described kind of the perfume that he had. The Prophet ﷺ, he was so fond. The Prophet ﷺ, one of his very amazing qualities was that the Prophet ﷺ was very particular about hygiene, about cleanliness, about always being presentable. And that doesn't mean luxurious or extravagant, but he was always very presentable. The Prophet ﷺ took a lot of pride in being clean and dressed cleanly and smelling nice and having his hair combed and his beard combed. And the Prophet ﷺ was very particular about these things. Because you're supposed to carry yourself with that type of dignity. And so Abbas, radiallahu uh, ta'ala anhu, he actually even says, he notes that, or excuse me, Abdullah bin Abbas, his son, Abdullah bin Abbas says, I saw that the Prophet took some type of uh, perfume that was almost kind of like a cream, um, and he put it in his hair, and he rubbed it into his hair, and then he combed his hair with that in his hair. Kind of like almost putting some type of cream or gel or something that smelled nice, right? So that's how particular the Prophet ﷺ was about being nice and clean and presentable. After this, the Prophet ﷺ then said, now everyone, they're in Mina. Everyone's done what they're supposed to do. And at this time, before going forward, one other thing I wanted to mention was, some people came to the Prophet ﷺ at that particular time, at that juncture, and they had some questions. And I talked about this previously, I alluded to this, but I wanted to reiterate it here. Some people came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, O Messenger of Allah, I cut my hair 
before I made the sacrifice. I cut my hair before I made the sacrifice. What should I do now? The pro- should I now make my sacrifice now, even though I've already cut my hair? The Prophet ﷺ said, "If'al wala haraj." He said, "Do it, and it's no problem. Do it. There's no problem. That's okay." And that again kind of goes back to what I had emphasized earlier about the accommodating nature of the Prophet ﷺ and overall the accommodating nature of our religion. If somebody deliberately does it wrong, that's disrespectful. But if somebody unknowingly, accidentally, or it's even outside of someone's control, right? Like when you go for Hajj now and there's like millions and millions of people and you're not really sure is your haircut, uh, is, your, is your sacrifice happening before your haircut or vice versa? The Prophet ﷺ, the religion of Islam, our Lord Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created room for us. Right? Has created room for us. It's practical. Our religion is extremely practical. And I talked about this earlier that when we skew things one way or the other, we create a problem. If we become too lax where we don't respect anything, somebody deliberately does it out of order, now you don't even respect Allah. That's a problem. You will lose the heba, the respect of the religion and of Allah. But if you skew things too much to the other side where you become so rigid and so strict, you will break people. You will break people. And the Prophet ﷺ told us not to do that. The Prophet ﷺ said, you were sent to facilitate Islam for people, not to make it an obstruction. Facilitate things, congratulate, encourage, motivate, inspire, uplift people. Don't chase them away and break them. Facilitate things, don't, don't try to make things more difficult. Allah says in the Qur'an, مَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ لِتَشْقَى we did not send down the Qur'an upon you to make your life difficult, to ruin your life, to make you miserable. That's not why the Qur'an was sent. It's a mercy, it's a guidance, it's a blessing. And so we have to remember that at times. Now, after this, the Prophet ﷺ gathered the companions together and he said, now we will go to the Haram. We'll go into Mecca and we're going to go to Masjid al-Haram, the Kaaba. We go there and now here we perform tawaf. Now here we perform tawaf and do sa'i. And again, remember what we had talked about earlier, what we had talked about previously, that tawaf, the procedure of tawaf, you enter the masjid, okay, you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you gaze upon the Kaaba, you make dua, then you proceed, you kind of offer your greeting to the house of God, Istilam, if you can kiss the black stone without creating a situation, you do so, otherwise you gesture. You do seven circuits counterclockwise with the Kaaba to your left. You go around the Kaaba seven times at each circuit at the black stone, you gesture towards it. When you are done with seven circuits, you gesture towards it, and then you go somewhere beyond the spot, the place called Maqam Ibrahim, the station of Abraham, you go somewhere beyond there and you offer two rak'ahs of prayer. After doing that, the Prophet's sunnah was, he would then drink zamzam water 
And after drinking the Zamzam, the Prophet ﷺ then went to, then what he taught us to do was, we go to Sa'i, As-Safa wal Marwa. The mountains of Safa and Marwa, we go to Safa. We stand there at Safa, a little bit up on Safa. Now if you're just at the end of the Mas'a, the area where you make Sa'i, you're already on top of the mountain because it's been built on top of it, right? So you go to the end, <coughs> you turn in the direction of the Kaaba. You make dua there, you praise and glorify Allah. You say, Bismillah, Allahu Akbar. And then you walk from Safa to Marwa. That is one trip. You go one way, and then you, make, you come back from Marwa to Safa. That is two. Stopping at each point and making dua. In this way, you make seven one-way trips. So you started at Safa, and you will conclude at Marwa. Seven one-way. Alright? And... When you finally conclude at Marwa, then again you make dua there, and that is the conclusion of the Sa'i. So the Prophet ﷺ brought the Sahaba to the Haram, and then he said, now perform these rites and these rituals here. And this is known by two names. This juncture of the Hajj is either called Tawaf al-Ifada or Tawaf al-Ziyarah. The Prophet ﷺ referred to it as Tawaf al-Ziyarah. So this is what that's called. Something very interesting that happened at that particular moment that is mentioned in the hadith of Sahih Muslim is that when they, when they people were gathered there at the Haram and they're doing Tawaf and they're doing Sa'i and they're praying, all the Hujjaj, 100,000 people, people were getting water from the well of Zamzam and they were scooping it into cups and giving water to people. Siqayatul Hajj, the old tradition of Abraham, giving water to the Hujjaj. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he saw that, he called on his family members. He called on his family members and he said, Inzi'u Bani Abdul Muttalib. Let Banu Abdul Muttalib do this. Banu Abdul Muttalib, the children of Abdul Muttalib. Because they are the descendants of the caretakers of the Kaaba. He said, you guys need to get in there and serve water to people. That's your prestige. That's your heritage. That's a legacy you've inherited. Give water to people. And then the Prophet was himself was riding on the back of the animal. And he said something very beautiful. He said, فَلَوْلَا أَنْ يَغْلِبَكُمُ النَّاسُ عَلَى سِقَايَتِكُمْ لَنَزَعَتُ مَعَكُمْ He said, I myself would come there down there and also serve water to people if people would not start creating, if it would not create a situation. Because you can imagine if the Prophet starts serving water, everyone's gonna want water from the hands of the Prophet So he said, it'll create a situation. So I won't come down there, but otherwise the family, the descendants of Abdul Muttalib, they need to serve the water because that is the honor and the distinction of our family and our household. Um, and they somebody got some water, they gave it to the Prophet The Prophet it mentions a narration that shariba minhu, the Prophet drank some of the zamzam and a little bit was left over minhu. And then he took the remainder of the water and he poured it on his face and his head. So that's part of the sunnah. Because you've just shaved your head, you're performing 
tawaf and sa'i, you're hot, you're tired. So the Prophet drank some water and then he poured some water on his face and his head. And that is what the Prophet did at that particular time. So, and after this, they prayed dhuhr there at the Haram, at the Kaaba, and then they went back to Mina. We'll conclude here for Salat al-Isha inshallah in the next session. Then we'll talk about the next three, uh, two days, almost three days that they spent in the place of Mina. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant us all the ability to practice everything we've said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahu wa bihamdik, nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, astaghfiruka wa natubu ilaha.